This is episode 84 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Prepper Sustainability, How to Observe and Monitor Local Game, 23 Motives to Prep Even if Doomsday Never Arrives, and Why You Need to Store the Right Food Storage. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before I get started, did you see the pictures and the video footage uh, from that office building or uh, the the tower or the the building going up in flames in London? Uh, that was terrible. I finished the podcast uh, last night. And I was uploading and then hit Twitter and then saw it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I started looking at some of the other things and, and started following the hashtags. And uh, it was it was absolutely terrible, man. I can't even begin to imagine that. But um, something to consider if you are apartment prepping, right? If you are uh, living in a high-rise or anything like that, I mean, what would you do? I know that they uh, make ladders and, and, you know, safety things like that. Uh, somebody said people were making, uh, or one report said that people were making uh, or like rope out of blankets and things like that. Uh, but I mean, there's no telling. There's so many people that are lost right now, and uh, no, there's no telling how many people. Uh, and when I say lost, I mean like people, you know, they can't find their family members. Uh, but there's no telling how many people actually, you know, died in the fire. I mean, that's just terrible, right? So then you had that. Then you had the shooting of Congre- Congressman Steve Scalise uh, today. I mean, that's crazy, right? Then you had uh, the shooting at the UPS. Um, and, and for those of you that aren't familiar with it, I, it's, I record the Thursday podcast the night before. So this is Wednesday night. Uh, but uh, you had the UPS shooting going on. And before uh, I started getting ready to you know, start recording... Um, there was uh, there was reports about Travis Air Force Base being on lockdown, but that was just a false a false alarm uh, on that. They, they thought that it was an active shooter. So um, man, this the world's crazy, right? So uh, although prepping is uh, it seems like um, people out there. I mean, if you read articles. I've, I've had a couple of articles on Prepper website where people were talking about. Uh, you know, hey, make sure that you're still prepping. You know, uh, people are, are feel a little bit more comfortable because a Republican came into office, and so hey, we don't need to prep, uh, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there, there's always life happens, and that's why we prep. We don't prep for you know some specific thing. Life happens, and um, you know, even if, if you're in an apartment complex. Uh, or you know, you're living in a high-rise, uh, if you are in a situation where you're playing baseball, right, and then something starts happening, I mean, how are you going to react? What are, you, are, you going, are you one of those people that are just going to freeze? And, like you start hearing gunfire, you're going to start freezing, and then that's it? You're, you're not going to move anymore? Or, you know, what's going to happen there? Uh, you're on lockdown. Do you know what to do uh, on lockdown? I, I don't know. I don't like the idea of lockdown. Um, before... Uh, in, in the school district, I was kind of over my campus and talking about safety. And uh, before the, uh, it came down from our district office that we should, uh, you know, run, fight, hide, 
I was already telling that to to my teachers. I was already saying, hey, don't go into a lockdown. And, you know, our schools aren't conducive to lockdown anyway because, or at least our elementary schools aren't, um, because we don't have doors and and locks. And it's not like a, a school that you might remember, right, high school. So my thing was, no, man, the first thing you do is you run. If you have to, you fight. And then you hide. And so I don't, you know, when when authorities say, you know, we're on a lockdown, I don't know if I could abide by that. I would be like getting out of there, right? So anyway, um, don't want to don't want to belabor all that, but just to to say that, you know, there's always reason to be to to prep, you know, and always reason to be situationally aware of what's going on and have an idea of what you would be doing. All right. So let's go ahead and get into the podcast, into the articles for uh, today. Our first one comes to us from readynutrition.com. And uh, the title is Prepper Sustainability, How to Observe and Monitor Local Game. And I think this is a great idea. Um, Even if you are living in uh, the suburbs, right? Um, I have in my garden tons of little squirrels eating, wanting to eat my, my vegetables. I absolutely hate it. Uh, but you know, one of the things I think about is if I needed to, that could be a source of meat in in a collapse situation. So, uh, but anyway, so this article might not be what you think, but I think it's going to be very helpful. So hopefully you'll uh, you'll hang with it. All right, let's get started. I've written a few articles here and there on the benefits of hunting, as well as some firearms for you to consider. There is a good reason for becoming proficient in hunting. You must eat and you must feed your family. Sometimes it's the small things, the small details that lead to success in the larger, bigger picture. In order to be proficient with hunting, you need to learn about your quarry. Why is this important? Because in a grid-down SHTF situation, you're going to need to eat, and you probably will need to be able to grow everything you need or raise all the livestock you will use to support the family. The blending of agriculture and animal husbandry is not complete until you have also learned to become a hunter-gatherer when need be. Our revolutionary forefathers supplemented the meat slaughtered at the happy butchers with meat they shot in the woods. So, how do you learn about your quarry? There are lots of different ways. The library is replete with books and videos on every subject from deer to migratory birds, from field care and butchering wild game to the habits of game animals. No, what I'm referring to here is to take the time and do a study of your immediate area and or the closest woods to your home. A notebook needs to be compiled with your observations. It is not hunting season and there are plenty of deer and other game animals to observe and learn from. Finding the deer trails means finding where the deer go in the normal course of the day to forage and to drink. Learning where the squirrels can be found where the pheasants bed down for the night, and where aquatic birds such as ducks and geese can be found are some keys. By observing them, you also have to maintain your silence and mask your scent. So you're training while you're observing them. You're practicing your stealth and masking your presence. You need to find out where your predators are, black bear, bobcat, and so forth. Remember, when you hunt for game, you're competing with them. In a survival situation, you may also have to rely on them for a food source. It would behoove you to map out your area. Using existing maps and either trace them out and create a whole new map or make an overlay where you can mark important points where you find them. 
when you see groups of deer, try to identify them as a unit and as individuals. You may have group one that has a couple of bucks and does and two fawns. This group one may be identified because one of the bucks is missing one antler or another has a limp. This is all field craft and it can pay off because in an SHTF situation, you're not the only one who's going to be hunting the wild game. Give yourself the edge of knowing where in your area, where it is in your area and their regular feeding and watering times. It will take time, but you can practice a boatload of other tasks as well and boost your training. Learn to document exactly where they are moving, what they are doing, and the times. Soon you'll have a collection of notes that you can rely upon to gauge the habits of these animals. For birds, knowing their haunts can lead to learning about where they nest and where they bed down for the night. This can yield eggs in addition to meat. Where the ducks and geese are feeding, the chances are this is a good area for fishing as well. As you gather information, you will be painting a picture similar to a documentary on their habits and activities. Supplement this with watching what they do. Watch what they eat and familiarize yourself with local with these local plants. You'll also want to be aware of how many people frequent these areas. Other people will be your competition for hunting wild game in a collapse scenario. Use a compass and map and have exact locations described in detail. Why? Here's why. The scenario. We suffer a collapse and in the course of things you develop an infection and are going to die. You're leaving behind a wife and two kids, a boy and a girl. Standard fare, right? Now, if you don't document where all of this wild game is, how are they going to hunt for themselves while you're in the backyard under a headstone? That journal with all the habits and haunts of that wild game can benefit them and give them a better chance. So springtime is here. Go out and get yourself some good training by hiking around and following wild game and migratory birds. Learn about your backyard and it just may be that someday, if your notes are good, the information may benefit you or benefit others who rely on you if you're not around. Let's hope that latter is not the case. Keep in the good fight and fight to win. All right, so uh, I think it's a a decent concept, right? Uh, Keeping notes and keeping journals, uh, even in gardening as well, I think that's helpful uh, to be able to go back and look at data. Everyone, it just seems like everyone nowadays is looking for data and uh, that data helps to drive decisions. And so I think that, um, you know, this is a, a, a good idea uh, for anyone who's uh, who's considering that. You know, when I think about, about this and, and looking for um, spe- specific animals, you know, one of the things that I've heard in the past, and I can't remember where I heard it, but, you know, creating... Uh, a garden setting where uh, animals will want to come and eat. So if you have your garden, let's say you have your garden and you have rabbits and you have other things coming, deer coming to eat it, well then you on the uh, peripheral, right, on, or on the, uh, not the peripheral, but on the boundaries, then you create a garden bed or you create uh, some kind of uh, uh, food uh, you grow some food that will attract those animals so that they, they don't eat your vegetables, they eat those, and they stay on the edges of the garden, on the real garden. But it does keep them coming to your area, and so it makes it easier for you to kind of keep an eye on who's coming, what's going on, you know, what animals, all that kind of stuff. So uh, that might be something to uh, to consider doing. I always wanted to, I just never got around to doing it, but putting a... Uh, 
uh, a little raised bed with some way of rigging up some 55-gallon drum that we would just fill up every you know time that we go up there. But putting clover down, and uh, I actually saw this on Facebook today. Um, actually, I think it was on on uh, on Lori's uh, Common Sense Home Facebook page, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was a chicken run. Uh, but the, what they had done was they created, I guess, some kind of beds and they put chicken wire over it and allowed uh, herbs and things to, uh, to whatever it was, whatever they're feeding on, to grow up through that. So they could never take it down to the ground and completely destroy it, but they were still eating. You're, they're, you're kind of creating uh, like wild edibles for for the chickens. And so they, you know, they can forage on that kind of stuff and uh, but not take it all the way down to the to uh, to the ground so it would keep coming back up so I always thought that something like that putting some clover down a small little garden bed uh, where you know deer could come and and eat uh, eat that I thought that would always be helpful and I wanted to try that I just never got around to doing that but anyway all right so that's uh, at readynutrition.com Go uh, go check that out. There's a couple of links in that article. Next article comes to us from askaprepper.com, and this is uh, this is titled "23 Motives to Prep Even If Doomsday Never Arrives." And again, kind of goes with what I was talking about before. Uh, there's always a reason to prep, right? Uh, there's always benefit uh, from it. You might not be as heavy into it, you know, at some point in your life. Uh, you know, at the beginning, you might not. You're 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 full of you know craziness, and you're you, especially like when your eyes are open and you realize how fragile everything is. You know, you you feel like you gotta you know hurry up and prep. Uh, after you've been into it for a little while. You might not feel that much of an urgency, but you've already acquired some skills and you've acquired, you know, some food storage and you've got a plan in place. And so, uh, but you're always, you know, prepping, you're always prepping. There's always reason to prep out there. Uh, but this one is specifically if like doomsday, the big, the big shebang never comes. All right. So let's read this one. There are two types of people in the world. The ones who prepare for the worst case scenarios and those who don't. Often you'll hear people who don't prepare for SHTF say things like, what will you do if SHTF never happens? But even if doomsday never comes, the people who prepare are actually better off than those who are prepared for SHTF. And here are 23 reasons why you should keep preparing even if SHTF never happens. 1. Self-defense. It's no surprise that doomsday preppers are ready to keep their families safe from violence and SHTF. Between street muggings and home invasions, normal everyday crime still poses a threat to us. Having self-protection skills are a plus in SHTF or normal society. So check out the best MMA self-defense techniques. So there's a link there. But, uh, you know, if you think about it, uh, there's a lot of the times where I link to, you know, self-defense things, uh, scenarios and those kinds of things. Uh, you know, how important are those not only for, you know, the doomsday type stuff, but they're helpful in everyday living, right? Things that uh, even what we were talking about today, like what are you going to do if someone starts popping off rounds? Are you just going to freeze and, and drop to the ground or are you going to run? What are you going to do? Um, I want to I want to say um if you're not familiar with uh, the the congressman thing, it just kind of came to my mind with uh, Steve Scalise who was shot. Um, I believe that they said there was like 50 rounds shot. Maybe not, but someone said it was like 50 rounds were shot, but uh, or or like shot off, but only five people were hit. 
And so, you know, it's another thing to remember. And most people aren't really great at, uh, you know, at moving targets. So, again, are you going to just stay there and freeze or and drop to the ground? Or are you going to move and you're going to dodge and move and weave and get out of there as soon as possible? All right, continuing on. Number two, leadership. If you've been preparing for SHTF, you probably realize that a crisis requires a leader. If you studied on any leadership skills while getting ready for the big event, you've probably exhibited some of those qualities. Leadership qualities aren't a waste of time. They can help you at home, at work, with friends. Everyone wants to be around a strong leader. Number three, inflation. The thought of a weaker national dollar or euro might scare some, but not the prepper. When a prepper has three years' supply of toilet paper, food, and other toiletries, those goods are purchased at the price of yesterday. Even if SHTF doesn't happen, the prepper becomes insulated to the loss of purchasing power that people who have to buy groceries every week suffer. It's a great way to protect your wealth over time. And if you think that three years of toilet paper is just crazy, talk to the people in Venezuela. I mean, that was, again, that was one of the things that uh, that went quickly. I think uh, diapers, tampons, and toilet paper. I mean, that, that sucks, right? For people, who are, for people who are used to using toilet paper, I'd love to be able to have three, uh, three years of toilet paper stocked up, man. All right, <laughs> continuing on. Uh, number four, first aid. In normal society, people still get cuts, broken bones, and eat a first responder. If you're prepared for anything, you are prepared for first aid. And those skills and supplies may not go unused, even if S doesn't HTF. Uh, yeah, I'm, I could comment on every single one of these. I'm not. I'm just going to keep going. Number five, droughts. The lack of water seems really scary to some, but to a prepper, it's just another hurdle to tackle. From collecting and storing water to rationing and purifying water, the doomsday prepper can handle this naturally occurring disaster. The end of the world might not come, but the prepper will probably never go thirsty. Here's how you can can water for emergencies. Discipline. If you've been putting away food, water, and training for the worst case scenario, you probably have discipline. The will to keep on at something that may never happen shows dedication and a will to force yourself to drive on. There are so many facets of normal life that exceptional discipline will pay off. The prepper need not experience SHTF to be better off with good discipline. Keep prepping. Number seven, long-term planning skills. Along with discipline, long-term planning skills can help corporate employees improve the function of their department. Who knows, long-term planning skills could lead to a nice job promotion. Number eight, organizational skills. Whether you're in the corporate world or working in a skilled trade, better organizational skills will not go unused. Even if SHTF doesn't happen, your boss and coworkers will love the better organized environment that you create. Number nine, fitness. To survive SHTF, you have to be in relatively good physical condition. But don't let your health go if doomsday never happens. Your energy level, quality of life, and cognitive outlook all benefit from excellent fitness levels. Dwelling, construction, and repair. Patching a roof to seal out the weather, insulating a house with no heat. There are concepts applicable to anyone who owns a home. Investing the time to learn to repair your home is a worthy endeavor. Whether SHTF comes along or not, you'll save a lot of money doing your own house repairs. Number 11, automobile maintenance. Similar to home repair, automobile repair is a handy skill for preppers, specifically so they can keep the bug out vehicle working. But just think of all the money you save by learning to repair your own vehicle, even if a post-apocalyptic never happens. 
Gardening. Growing your own food is a great way to lower your overall food bill. Even in the winter, if you are into canning, your family can enjoy the fruits of your labor all year long. Gardening is not just for preppers. Self-sufficiency. Being self-sufficient has its perks. One of the nice things about being self-sufficient is that even if SHTF doesn't happen, localized emergencies happen all the time. If you prep, you won't have to rely on intervention from government services, and in fact, you may be able to help your community if you're prepared enough. Number 14, income loss. We all suffer job loss from time to time. One of the major benefits of keeping a well-stocked pantry is that in the is that even that your income sorry, is that in the event that's what it's supposed to say, is that in the event that your income is severely cut, you can go quite a while with, without assistance from others. A good-sized pantry is a great insurance plan. Number 15, family traditions. While you're canning, gardening, and baking, you'll make traditions. Traditions are born out of the way families do things required to survive, such as baking, farming, gardening, etc., Even if the grid never goes down, when you're prepping with your family, you're building wonderful bonds. Outdoor survival skills. All those outdoor survival skills you gained while prepping for the end of the world, they won't be lost on you or your family. Go out, get out and go camping, real camping in the middle of the wilderness. Again, this ties back into building traditions. Uh, Gaining outdoor survival skills are a great way to get ready for a camping trip of a lifetime. 17. Tools. If you're like me, you've stockpiled, you stockpiled several sets of every kind of tool you come across, and it's done with good reason. If SHTF, you'll be able to uh, barter for nece- necessary items with the valuable tools you have. But I also like having extras of each type of tool to loan out to friends and give as bond-building gifts to neighbors in need. Giving tools is a great way to build rapport, and rapport is worth more than money, SHTF or not. Check this list of tools you will need when SHTF. Flood and fires. Surviving flood and fires requires a special kind of person, a person who can bug out at a moment's notice and get their loved ones to safety. Who's better prepared to do that than a survivalist? People who aren't into SHTF prepping are probably a lot more likely to listen to you about preparing for a flood or fire than the end of the world. Preppers should be experts on this topic. Earthquakes and tornadoes. These types of disasters are common and required an important but different set of skills than preparing for floods and fires. While Doomsday isn't here yet, one community might call on the prepper to use their search and rescue skills to locate folks after such an event. Hey, just let me real quick, on the, the Facebook group, uh, more so, Living a More Self-Reliant Life, um, I, I posted a, uh, a video that, I've, that I saw. I don't know where I saw it, but... Uh, you know, I went ahead and shared it there. Uh, a guy is pulling out of his garage and, um, you know, I guess they're like in tornado alley, kind of whatever. It looks very flat and very open and he's pulling out of his garage and he's like getting ready to turn down to go down the dirt road. And all of a sudden the wind picks up and, uh, rain and everything and his car turns sideways and you get to see, I guess the, the car turns to the side to where you see the, the garage and the whole garage is completely demolished. It's just like just taken up in the wind. So it's like this tornado just, just comes. And I mean, I can't believe that this guy didn't hear that the tornado was coming. And I don't know, it could be trick photography or whatever, but if you're a member of, uh, of the group over there, go check that out. I mean, I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, really crazy, crazy looking. It reminded me of the, uh, of the movie hurricane. Uh, but this is more like a tornado happening. All right. Number 20, impro- improvisation. 
improvisation. I can talk. Uh, we live in a disposable society. If something breaks, we throw it away, but the prepper will find a way to fix what breaks or repurpose it to something useful. When all the hardware stores are closed and you need a quick fix on your basement sub pump, the prepper is a great person to know. Number 21, worry-free. By and large, preppers should live worry-free. While they're prepared for the worst-case scenario, they are better prepared than 90% of the people around the globe. SHTF may happen, it may not, but either way, the prepping family has it covered. Number 22, interpersonal skills. Dealing with difficult people can be a pain in a doomsday situation and in regular life, but the prepper excels with great interpersonal skills because he or she knows that dealing favorably with other people gets you far in life. The pepper has a spot in the library for how to win friends and influence people. So I don't know too much about that one. Um, hopefully you do. Hopefully you you uh, you realize that there are times where you are going to have to um, compromise, and hopefully you realize that there are times where you're going to have to diffuse a situation, maybe at least until you can kind of separate yourself from someone. So uh, I don't know, something to think about there. And the last one is motivation. Last and certainly not least is the concept of motivation. All the prepping, learning, doing, and helping others is not in vain if S doesn't HTF. If nothing else, the prepper motivates people to keep taking strides to be self-sufficient, help their community, and secure their family. Take heart when others say, what if the end of the world never happens? You've got things covered either way. You have peace of mind, and all of your prepping is useful in many other ways. Do not quit being prepared. You never know who's watching and who becomes inspired. So there are some comments over there that you can go check out over at askaprepper.com. Uh, there's always there's always comments and people are adding to that. Um, things to think about. Uh, prepping should be just a lifestyle. And it's funny, you know, you get so many people talk about, you know, prepping is just what our great-grandparents did or grandparents did. And it was just common sense living, right? And now we call it prepping. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, helpful information there. I, I guess it goes just beyond prepping and food and that kind of stuff, but being aware of what's going on in the world around you. All right, our last article comes to us from foodstoragemoms.com. And uh, the title is Why You Need to Store the Right Food Storage. So there's a little bit of yeah. insight here, um, a little bit of insight here that you might want to listen to and uh, take into account. So let's start reading this one. Do you sometimes wonder why you need to store the right food storage for your family? It's a little overwhelming, right? Should I buy freeze-dried, dehydrated, or what? Do you remember when you were growing up and our parents had a few 50-pound or 100-pound can filled with powdered milk, beans, and sugar? Ours were shiny green. You can probably picture the wooden shelves filled with jars of canned fruit and vegetables. You know all the food storage we could see at a glance, what we had stored just in case. There is nothing more exciting than seeing the food that we produced from the garden stored for the family for the year. Here's the deal. Life is busy and I realize canning is not as popular as it was years ago. You can call those vintage skills or pioneer skills. Either way, the USDA is no longer having testing kitchens for canning food. I learned this last fall when I took classes to get certified in the Master Canner Preserve class from the U USU Extension Service right here in southern Utah. I was shocked to hear this, but according to the USDA, people would rather buy fresh food in season or fruits and vegetables in cans or down the frozen aisle of their local grocery stores. 
I still bottle a few jars here and there, not like I did when I had four daughters helping to do the work. I don't have access to fresh fruit like I did up north either. Some of us are getting older and no longer want to bottle or can 50 jars of peaches. I get it. Let's talk about the right food storage for you today. I'll share some that I like to store. Right food storage for you. This is truly a personal topic because we all have different situations in our lives and our budgets. Here are some of my suggestions. Please note, I use all of my food storage monthly and rotate it as needed. I only buy fruits, vegetables, meats, cheese, and all the basics to cook from scratch. Freeze-dried food. The great thing about freeze-dried food is you can eat the food right out of the can. Some of the fruits like pineapple, strawberries, and apple slices are my favorite healthy snacks. You can eat green beans and corn right out of the can. Easy peasy to use if you have a can opener. Please remember to store a few good can openers. I can never have too many. No water needed unless you are going to cook with them. Please do not use hot water with the freeze-dried cheese. Yep, it will cook it. I only use tepid water with all freeze-dried food. Soak as noted on the can, drain the water, and use in your recipes as you would fresh food. The pros. Freeze-dried food in number 10 cans will store longer than dehydrated foods. Typically 25 years of unopened and in a room with a temperature of 70 degrees or so. Check with the manufacturer where you purchase your food storage in number 10 cans. I only buy from Honeyville and Thrive Life for my freeze-dried. I also check the price per ounce and include the shipping cost to decide which company I will purchase from. The cons. I almost hate to write a con because it's the best way to buy the right food storage for long term. The con would be they are more expensive, but for me, I can sleep at night knowing those cans will last my lifetime. So unless you are using them all the time and not just for reserve, they really are very cost effective since you don't have to replace them as often. Commercially dehydrated foods. This is a little more tricky because most commercially dehydrated food in number 10 cans has a shorter life because it is processed differently than freeze-dried. The only thing I use dehydrated foods for are for cooking soups because they need so much water to rehydrate them. Here again, I only buy from <clears throat> excuse me. I only buy from Honeyville and Thrive Life. The pros, they are cheaper and freeze freeze-dried fruit, sorry, they are cheaper than freeze-dried foods and vegetables. These are cheaper to store and cook with even compared to fresh foods in many cases. No chopping, peeling, etc. No waste. It's fabulous. The cons. Shorter shelf life compared to freeze-dried food, vegetables, etc. You can eat them you can't eat them right out of the can. You may chip a tooth. Shelf life is typically 7 to 8 years. Check your manufacturer cans for suggested time frames. Home dehydrated foods. Now, I love using my Excalibur dehydrator with a timer. It's fabulous, but I do not dehydrate for long-term storage. I dehydrate any excess fruits to make healthy snacks. I dehydrate vegetables for soups and stews. I love buying frozen vegetables because they are ready to dehydrate and use less space in a quarter jar over the space they take in the freezer. I use them for soups and casseroles. Storage life, one year maximum, using my food saver without oxygen absorbers. The pros, they are almost free because we are not wasting them. We are dehydrating them for another meal. The cons, shorter shelf life, one year maximum. Store purchased cans. Here's the deal. I hope you buy some cans that every family member would eat after a short-term disaster. Buy case lots when they are on sale and only buy the ones you like. 
Pros, you can use a can opener and a meal is ready in minutes with or without heating, heating it up on a cooking device. The cons, the shelf life is not as long, typically one or to two years, and then the food starts tasting like the can. I often wonder what is being absorbed in the food from the can, but what can we say it's in a metal can? So I'm going to disagree here with Lisa just a little bit. And we've had other articles on here talking about long-term food storage. Um, it could be that the um, that the new cans maybe uh, tend to taste a little bit differently. Um, but you know, we've talked about before in the past you know, in research where uh, cans that have been found 40 years old uh, are still good. And so that's something that you're going to have to uh, to deal with. Again, if you are doing a first in, first out, you're rotating, uh, there's no reason why. Uh, I believe having uh, canned food is like should be your first uh, your first type of food storage. Uh, you shouldn't just you know throw a bunch of cans in your pantry and just leave them or go buy a bunch of cans and put them in a closet and leave them there. Um, you should be rotating them, using them. So like... Um, like I've said that before, like soups, if you if you do soups, if your family use canned soups, uh, those kinds of things, uh, even like ravioli type, you know, with the meat sauce in there and all that kind of junk. Uh, I know people are probably like rolling over in their grave and like, Todd, there's so much sodium and junk in there. But the fact is, is that when you're looking for a quick meal, kids love that kind of stuff. Uh, you know that if you store it, kids are going to eat it. Uh, so, you know, you might want to have some of that in your pantry. But anyway, so uh, I think that, you know, that should be where you go first. Uh, so continuing on, there's just a little paragraph here. Uh, Thank you for buying the right food storage for your family today, not tomorrow. Let's teach the world to be prepared for the unexpected. Uh, please note, if you do bottle can your own food, you need to remove the rings on the bottles before storing them so you know if the canning lids have stayed sealed. So again, I, I think um, important important uh article because i think you should start off with your food with uh with canned foods that should be first uh you should look into um you know carrying some number 10 cans uh, if you have um an lds cannery close to you um i know that they don't have the cannery opened anymore or at least um uh, I, I don't believe so there was always talk about that i never got clear on that uh but you can buy uh you know food storage from them in number 10 cans and it's very very reasonable so if you wanted to go buy some uh some grains if you wanted to buy rice if you wanted to buy beans and other things that are uh that are already in number 10 cans you can do so at, at a decent price from an LDS cannery uh so but again so uh canned canned goods that you'd buy at the grocery store you can go to like I said, a cannery, and you can you can purchase there. You can make your own. Uh, you know, you should. This is not hard to do. You should do your own uh, your own uh, five gallon buckets with mylar bags and oxygen absorbers. Um, it is so easy to do. I'm gonna actually. Um, if you don't have that, I mean, having a couple of those buckets are just. It should be a no-brainer. I'm going to link to an article that I have. It's the Uber Guide to Food Storage on Ed That Matters, and uh, it, it gives you so much information. I mean, when I did my food buckets, it was I just looked online and I found I saw some videos and I read some articles and I just went for it and it worked. So 
I can tell you from experience, it's not hard. the The main thing that you're going to deal with is uh, the storage. You know, where are you going to put them? You know, having storage, having a separate bedroom or a closet, a big closet where you can put things in there. But then moving from there to uh, to dehydrated and then the freeze dried. Um, I like I said, I was very happy with the legacy foods that I had. Uh, and you know, seemed to seemed to work really really well. I didn't get into the strawberries, the freeze dried. Uh, strawberries but uh uh you know I, I think i need to as a as a little snack here and listening to or reading linda's uh article here is kind of making me want to go do that right now uh, there's a good number of comments over here and then also one thing that i want to point out over at uh, food storage moms is at the very very bottom there is a emergency binder. It's a free PDF that you can download. Uh, you don't even have to subscribe. I mean, she's not asking you to subscribe to her mailing list or anything. I mean, you know, you you can, and you know, uh, Linda's a, a good person. She always, you know, puts out good information. She's a really nice person. Uh, is really helpful. Uh, but uh, you can go download this emergency binder. So if you haven't ever put together a binder. Uh, yet, you know, and this covers a whole bunch of different things. Uh, if you haven't put one together, you can easily go get a three ring binder, download this, print it out, uh, you know, put some holes in it and you can start making an emergency binder. Uh, so, uh, don't forget to do that over at foodstoragemoms.com. Hey, just, I wanted to say really quick, uh, I, I received a couple of emails today, uh, and I just appreciate feedback. Uh, I'm not going to name names just because, you know, when you when you leave a comment on a uh, on the website or on social media, that's one thing, right? I mean, that's kind of public out there. When you send it in uh, an email, it's a little bit more private, and I didn't ask permission. But uh, you know, someone, uh, a woman—I'll just say she's a woman—you uh, know—sent me a nice email today, just appreciative of uh, the e-course that uh, and the emails that I send out. I, you know, the e-course when you when you sign up for the email list, uh, you automatically get signed up for the e-course, and so it, you get one every week. But I also send out one email a week, usually on Monday mornings. And so she was just very appreciative of that, uh, letting me know that she you know, she feels like uh, she can trust the information that I'm sending. So I really do appreciate that. Then I had another email uh, about uh, the food storage and, and about the cooking. And uh, was and that's because that's one of the e-courses in, or one of the emails that goes out. And just uh, letting me know about uh, sun ovens. And I'm very, very familiar with sun ovens. Uh, I, one of the reasons I didn't put that in there is because I was tailoring it more to uh, to those who, who needed to have the basics. So sun ovens are great, but I still think you need to have uh, you know other means to cook. Uh, I do have, I did a, um, a review on the Solovore uh, sun oven. And it worked, and and he was right. So the person who was like, "Man, you can't burn anything. It's kind of hard to uh, to fail." I mean, the only way that you fail is if you don't have sun, right? Um, and and that was my experience. I mean, it worked out. I mean, I was very very happy with it. It doesn't produce a lot of smell. Uh, so if you're trying to be, you know, pretty pretty quiet or not quiet, but uh, you don't want to give off smells and and uh, let everybody else know around you, your neighbors and stuff know that you're cooking or that you have food. I mean, that's definitely something that uh, that is a part of that there, and it doesn't cost anything. You put it out and you let the sun take care of it, and it goes. 
So uh, that is, but that is a, a viable option. But I, I do think that that is an option that you add to later on. That that is something that you, uh, you know, you need to have all the other, uh, like a little stovetop, a little propane, uh, you know, those kinds of things uh, to uh, to cook with. So I do appreciate that. Just getting the email and like, hey, thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. Uh, and then you know, giving me that information about the sun oven. Actually, I and so when I respond to that email, I'm going to respond to it a little bit later on tonight. Um, I, I do have something that I want to share with him about sun oven. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes uh, and and see where where uh, where we go with that one. But I do appreciate it when I do get feedback. I mean, it means a lot to me. It lets me know that, uh, you know, what's going on out there. I, I never set out to do this to, uh, for for money. Definitely not for, <laughs> definitely not for money, right? Uh, I, I, I do it from a sense of wanting to help people uh, in more of a calling. Uh, if you've never read the the mission or the about kind of how i got started in preparedness um you know uh, you can go over to purple website actually i'll i'll link to it i was actually looking at it today and i guess maybe that's why i'm kind of thinking about it i was looking at it today and realizing that i need to kind of you know uh change some stuff and and update it because it's uh it's about six years old, <laughs> about six years old now and i didn't i haven't looked at it in a long time and, and haven't updated it so i know i need to do that so i'll link to that uh uh, I'll link to that here uh, in in episode 84 show notes. So, all right. Well, that's it for the day. If you uh, if you get a chance, come on over and drop me a line in the comments section or hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. All right. So with that, choose to live a more self reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace. <laughs>